As I mentioned last week, um, you know, because of the, my nature and uh, how I operate, I'm going to go ahead and use this anyway. Um, if you can't see and you want to move over, feel free to do that, you know, feel free to um, get into a spot where you can see this better uh, when we get the platform done and uh, the back to our other screen and projector, this will all be much bigger where you can see it. When I bend over like this, does it help the ringing of the... <laughs> it's always kind of nice to be able to help out the sound guys, isn't it? They said, let me try the microphone this morning. I said, okay, and I turned it on and stood there. It's always nice if you speak uh, when they're doing it. So over the course of several summers, I have tried to um, guide us through Genesis. And as I looked back to see uh, how we've done that, uh, I started 12 years ago. Um, it's turned out to be not every summer, but maybe every couple of summers, sometimes every few summers. Uh, this last summer, we didn't do anything in Genesis. Uh, this summer, as I was thinking about it, I thought it's not going to be very conducive to um, going through Genesis. So uh, we're picking it up. We're picking it up today. We're going to look in, in Genesis. We're going to be in um, Genesis 37. So if you want to turn to Genesis 37, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 34. And um, each time we stopped a series, it just seemed to be a real convenient break in the book of Genesis, a pause almost, and this one is no different, where we pick up kind of a natural transition here in chapter 37. It's a transition from uh, Jacob or Israel. When we say Israel, I'm talking about the man as opposed to the nation here. Uh, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Uh, and it's a transition from Israel, really, to Joseph now. Uh, chapters um, uh, 38 and 39 are a little parenthetical insert that we're going to we'll get to but we're going to look my intent is to cover the entire chapter 37th chapter of genesis today and uh, we'll do it. it won't be a problem it's going to work real well let's pray father thank you for your word to us written a long time ago but still very relevant and that's what we want to see today we want to see the relevance of your word for our life it's great to look back and see how you've worked in other lives and to know that you are that same God who, and how you've worked in them and the things that you have taught th uh, through their lives and, and through the activities and interactions with them. You are still not only able but um, have done that more with others who have followed. Now here we are following. What we want to do is be impacted by your word. So teach us, Father. You know the challenges that everyone faces here you know the experiences you know what's going on in their life better than i ever could and you are the one who can make this connection so that is part of our prayer that you would um, touch each individual life with your grace truth truth and love we ask in christ's name amen i'm going to begin reading at verse one and i'm going to pause along the way as i do so you know you can either leave your bible open or stick a marker in there or something and then we're going to pick up and go a little bit further as we go along. Genesis chapter 37, beginning with verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. 
At 17 years of age, Joseph tended the sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a robe of many colors for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the other brothers, uh, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to the dream that I had. Uh, there we are, or there we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers, but his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you've had, he said. Are your mother and brothers and I going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, just stick a marker, and we're going to pause here for a minute. I just want, as we're going through this, I'm just going to share with you some observations, and uh, as God kind of showed me some things, not only in my own life, but I, I, you know, some things I believe He would want us to look at and consider. Um, you know, with this, the first one comes up uh, pretty quickly there, and that's, you know, if you have a favorite child, work on your relationship with your other children. Really, you need to work on your relationship with all your children. We'd like to say we don't have favorite children, and it, that just seems odd to me. Um, I, I don't think my mother had a, had a favorite child. Um, I don't think I have a favorite child. But if you do, um, work on that. You know, work on your relationship with your other children. Now, here's the deal. You're the adult. Start acting like an adult, you know, and you work on that relationship with them, okay? Just a thought for you there. Um, I can honestly say that I love each of my children with my whole heart. I think we understand that. Uh, mathematically, that's an impossibility, but I'm not talking about mathematics. I'm talking about the reality of life. And in the reality of life, I could tell you I love each of my children with my whole heart. Now, each one of them has a special place, you know, in my heart, and, and each of them touches my heart in ways that maybe their, their you know, their siblings don't. Uh, but they all have a place, you know, in my life, and they all have a place in my love. And now I can also add, you know, my children-in-law in there too. You know, they, you know, I did not choose them. You know, I did not choose them, but I can choose to love them. And I did. Here's the reality for you. You didn't choose your children either. You did not choose your children either. You know, they, they came up. I believe that my children-in-law are, I, I believe that they are a gift from God in answers to our prayers. I really do. I've told all of them that before. I told them that, you know, at their wedding. And, you know, I believe it's, I believe it's true. I also believe that our children are a gift from God in answer to prayer. You see, there, there's really, there's really no distinction there. You know, the reality is I didn't choose my children either, but, you know, God gave them to us in answers to our prayer, and I choose to love them. You know, parents choose to love your children. 
Those of you who have children-in-law, choose to love them. Those of you with stepchildren, choose to love them. Those of you who have strained relationships with your children or children-in-law, choose to love them. It's a choice you make. You say, I can't choose to love them. That's because you're thinking about love as all of these you know, weird feelings inside of us, and that's not love. That's not what love is. Love in Scripture is always talked about as action. It's talked about as choices. It's not talked about as these warm, fuzzy feelings. Now, if you have warm, fuzzy feelings, that's great. You know, That's good because you know it helps. It certainly helps. But that's not what it calls us to. It calls us to make the choice, make those actions, put those actions in place that, you know, that, that fall in line with, this, with what love is, this commitment. Part of your responsibility as parents, part of your responsibility, and I believe biblically God is going to hold you responsible for this, part of your responsibility is to raise your children so that they can grow to be all they can be in Christ. And I, there is no question in my mind that God is going to hold you responsible for that. Some of you say, "Well, you know, my kids are adults." You know, even even as you know, even as adults, you help guide them. You help to guide them. Your responsibility to them doesn't stop just because they're adults. You still continue to help guide them to be all they can be in Christ. Some of you didn't come to know Christ until your kids were grown and out of the house. It does. It, you can still you can still give them all the guidance and direction and influence you can to help them come to know Christ and to grow to be all they can be in Christ. Your responsibility as a parent is not to make yourself happy it is to guide them to be all they can be in christ now it, it, the goal is not to make them miserable you know there's a lot of scriptures that we could throw in here if we were doing one on child rearing you know about fathers don't don't exist where how was how's that go marcy she used to quote that to me my my children used to quote that mandy in particular used to quote that one to me fathers do not exasperate your children um She'd stop there, you know, when it goes on about bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Um, and I'd say, children, don't exasperate your father. Uh, that was just a paraphrase. <laughs> you know, but the, the, whole, the whole thing there, the, the, this is part of your responsibility to them. Helping to guide them toward God does not stop simply because they are grown. Those of you who thought, well, well once the kids get 18, that's good, I'm done. No, you're not. No, you're not. I, we all understand, you know, parents and children. Not you. Really, you 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 understand. You understand that you will never stop worrying about this kid. You know, Marcy was born, and there it was. This is a lifelong commitment. This is a lifelong responsibility. It changes, it matures. Okay, so here's the other part of it too. You know, um, you know, you stopped changing their diapers a long time ago. You know, so you, you, you grown children, you know, stop changing their diapers. You know, they, they need to suck it up, stand up, put on their big boy pants, and you know, and 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 be an adult. But you still encourage, you help them. You don't do it for them. You encourage, you help them to be all they can be in Christ. We can't spend too much more time on this. You know, we're, we're going to keep going. It says, now, the phrase I, I, I just feel I really need to point out to you, you know, that he said that, um, that, that, uh, 
that Joseph was special to him. Did you see why? Because he was born to him in his old age. Uh, just on a, just a, a little parenthetical thing for you here. It's right in line with my encouragement to you to last, last week to keep on having kids. Just a thought. Uh, just a thought for you. You know, kids are, are, are a good thing. Now, um, it, and when I say that though, I realize some of you, you know, some of you can't have kids and, or couldn't have kids. And, um, and it's hard. It's tough. You know, so when I talk about having kids and, you know, the joy of having kids and all that, I in no way mean to, mean to, um, uh, bring hurt or pain on those who couldn't or those who have lost children. Um, that's painful. You know, I have, I have, uh, wept with some of you, uh, regarding those, those issues and, um, you know, and it's hard. So I, I, you know, I just don't want you to think that we're being insensitive. Verse four, um, you have a lot of animosity, hatred, and it begins to show up there in verse four between Joseph and his brothers. Notice it says they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. What a shame. Oh my goodness. What a shame. Well, you know, what, what, a, what a way to operate a family. You know, Jacob, Israel, you know, he, you know he, he's partially to blame. But here's the deal. The brothers made their own choices. They made their own choices to hate. You know, the, some of you have strained relationships with your siblings. Here's what you need to realize. You need to realize that you can't blame others for the choices you make to go against what God says. You cannot blame others for choices you make to go against what God says. It doesn't matter how much they have ticked you off. It doesn't matter how much you feel they have done against you. You make a choice. And you cannot blame others for the choice you make to go against what God says. Now, you're not going to like what, I, what I'm about to say, uh, but I'm going to say it because you need to hear it. If you have bad feelings toward one of your siblings or toward anyone, really, it is because you choose to have bad feelings toward them. That's exactly what it, that's exactly why it is. If you had bad feelings toward a sibling or toward anyone, anyone, it's because you have cho chosen to have bad feelings toward them. Now hear what I'm saying. I am not saying that everything that they have done towards you is right or is okay. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that everything that they have done is right or is good. Your, your feelings might be understandable, but are they beneficial? Are they beneficial? Do your feelings bring glory to God? Do your feelings, do your feelings advance, advance the, the, the reality of the gospel? Do your, you know, do those feelings honor God? The reality is you choose how you will respond to those who mistreat you. And what I am saying is choose to love them. Choose to love them. Now again, understand what I am not saying. I am not saying that you condone everything they've done. I am not saying that you are agreeing with, by, by loving them, that you are agreeing with everything they've done. I am not saying that at all. Because some of, some of you have, have, have been victims. I hate to use that word because, you know, we think that gives us then the excuse to, um, 
act out. Some of you have been the recipients of some horrible, sinful treatment by others. And when I'm telling you, you know, that, that you choose to love them, I am not saying that what they did is okay. That is not what we're saying by that. You aren't, by, by responding that way, that is not what you're saying. What you're saying is, in spite of what they've done, I am choosing to obey God. I am choosing to follow God. I am choosing to honor God. You choose how you will respond. We're going to get into this a little bit more in a second here. You know, Joseph had this dream, and he felt the need to share it with his brothers. You know, we might think, what were you thinking? You know, what, what in the world made you think this was a good idea to share that dream, Joseph? You know, he shares it with them, and well, it really ticked them off. It only further enraged them. You know, there in verse 4 it says that they couldn't speak peaceably to him. Look at verse 5. It says, and they hated him even more. In, in verse 8, again, it says, and they hated him even more. All he did was stoke the fires of their anger. He stoked the fires of their hatred to the point, really, where things were getting out of control. Things were out of control. Now, you're going to see that in a few minutes here. And then Joseph has another dream. And now he tells his brothers and his fathers, I don't know why he thought this was a good idea to tell them. I really don't. I don't know why. I think, okay, we've all said some things to people sometimes that as we're saying it, we're wondering, what in the world am I saying this for? And some of you, you know, should be thinking that when you say some things. Just a thought for you. Uh, you, know, you know, and here he is. He's pouring all this out. He manages to honk off his father, too. You know, he had his brothers ticked off at him already. Now he's, you know, now he's pushing the button and honking his dad off here. You know, and his brothers, they had jealousy to their hatred. Never a good combination. Never a good, when jealousy gets in there and begins to control and begins to pull our strings and begins to poke, you know, and, and just, just never a good combination here. And it seems Joseph, he's only adding fuel to the fire. Spray a little gasoline on the fire. You, you have that choice. You have that choice. When you get in an argument with somebody, you have a choice. You're carrying two buckets. One's filled with gas. One's filled with water. You choose what you're going to throw on that thing. And too often, you know, we like to just just get them a little bit, splash a little bit of gas out of you know out of there on there. The um, when I used to when I had a charcoal grill instead of a gas grill, I um, I've told you guys some of you about this before. Um, when we first, when Jenny and I first got married. Um, you know, we went camping. We, we, you know, we did camping. as before Marcy was born, so it's in the first three years, you know, of our marriage when we had started camping. And um, we had a camp stove. In the camp stove, you use white gas. White gas is, is a little more refined, a little bit better, you know, and so you can cook on this stove. So I was going to light the charcoal grill, and I tried some of the lighter fluid, and it just wasn't fast enough for me. I went in the garage and I got out that can of white gas. This is good. And so what I what I did then is I put, uh, you know, I, I poured some white gas on the charcoals. And what I found is you only had to throw a lit match across the top of the grill. You didn't even have to get it in there. Just throw it right across the top of the grill and woof. You know, the charcoal actually moved. I mean, it just, it just was. It, this is what we do with arguments sometimes. 
This is what we do with arguments sometimes. We go in there, you know, and we rush in there, you know, with, with something, and we know it's going to be volatile. But we don't care. Because we really want to burn them. Because of what they did to us. And all we end up doing is making more trouble. All we end up doing is, is, is you know, making, making more problems. You know, and here's Joseph. Here's Joseph, you know, spraying a little gasoline on the fire. I, I don't recommend that. You know, uh, you know but, but God used this here still. God, you know, God is using this to uh, put his plan in motion. Really, to just further his plan. You'll see that, you know, today and then a little bit more in the weeks to come. You know, and you might say, you know, Joseph did this and it turned out okay, if you know the rest of the story. Um, uh, trust me, you, you, you know, I, I don't think you're up for the consequences that Joseph went through. You know, he went through years of consequences over these next number of weeks, however long it takes us to finish up uh, the book of Genesis here. You know, you're going, to, you're going to see, you know, some of these other consequences. They begin to unfold in verse 12. We'll follow along. Verse 12. The, these consequences, they, they're, they're building and they start to unfold here in verse 12. His brothers, verse 12, his brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I'm sending it to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. Yeah, it's, uh, didn't think that one through. Verse 14. Uh, then Israel said to him, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. A man found him there wandering in the field and asked him, what are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they are pasturing the flocks? They moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Uh, they saw him in the distance, and before they, he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. Mm. Uh, 19, they said to one another, here comes that dreamer. If you see the footnote there at Holman Christian Standard, here comes the, here comes the Lord of the dreams, you know. Uh, there, this isn't a compliment. Here comes the dream, the Lord of the dreams, verse 20. Come on, let's kill him. Throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. And he said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. He was intending to rescue him from their hands and return him to his father. Now, stick your marker in there. We're going to pause here for just a minute because what you see here is this is what happens when your hatred is unresolved. Their hatred was unresolved. Worse, they continued to feed their hatred, so it continued to lead them downhill. It continued to lead them away from God. This is how hatred works. And they plotted, they began plotting the murder of their brother. Does that sink into you? Murdering their brother. And then they planned to cover it up by throwing Joseph's body into a pit and then lying to their father. Here's, here's just some advice to you. Don't feed your hatred. Resolve it. Don't feed your hatred. Resolve it. Now, when I say resolve, here's what I mean. When I say to resolve something, what I'm talking about is removing any barrier between you and that other person. 
husbands and wives, you know, you should, you, you should resolve, you should resolve any issues between you. And what that means, it doesn't mean you agree on everything. No. Does it mean, uh, you know, does it mean that the husband, you know, is, is the, the leader in charges on with no respect for his wife? No. If that's what you think, if that's what you think the scripture says, you're misunderstanding scripture. Because, let me tell you very clearly, God is not the least bit confused about what he wants for you in your life. He is not the least bit confused about what he wants between you and your wife. He is not the least bit confused about what he wants between you and your boss, between you and your neighbor, between you and anyone else. And if there's not any, any agreement there, what you need to do is seek God, not push your own way. Just a, just, just, uh, just a thought for you there. So when you're resolving something, you're getting it to the place where there's, where there's you know, the, you may not agree on the exact plan, but the, guess what? This isn't an issue between us anymore. You know, this isn't an issue between us. Now, you feed it, you feed that when you continue to mull it over and over, replaying it in your head. You know, you continue to replay over and over and over the wrong they've done to you. Don't do that. You know, don't do that. You feed anger when you think of ways to strike out or get even or pay them back, you know, to get that gas out. When you're thinking of ways to pay that, don't do that. All you're doing is feeding the problem. Yes, we get angry. And yes, people may seem to give us great cause for anger. But here we go. No one forces you to be angry. You simply choose anger as a response. Well, but you suck it up and admit it. You choose anger as a response. No one forces that on you. And just so we can get this one out of the way, what you too often call righteous anger is, is, is often just a phrase you're putting in there to try to excuse your, your sinful anger uh, on there. Uh, in, in Ephesians, it says, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger. Anger is going to happen. You know, somebody's going to poke the bear and, you know, uh, and, and, and this is going to happen. But what he's saying, you know, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. What is he saying? Resolve your anger as quickly as possible. Resolve your anger as quickly as possible. And again, this comes in a context, you know, as you're reading through, and he begins to, then he goes into a relationship between husbands and wives and things. You know, resolve that. Certainly in a home, this should be the case, where you resolve the anger as quickly as possible. Now, the application of this is much wider than simply in the home. It is a general call to resolve your anger. Now, it does not, it does very little good to simply say resolve your anger without giving you some guidance on how to do this. So put a marker in here and turn to uh, Romans chapter 12. This is one of the best passages on resolving anger that I know of. There's a lot of great scriptures about it, but this is a real good condensed short section of scripture that will, that teaches us on how to resolve anger. I, I, I think it's on page 1046 if you're using a pew Bible, page 1046. Uh, begin to do more than simply read these words. We're going to look at them here in a second. Drop down to verse 17. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 12. We need to do more than read these words. We need to begin to apply them. We need to begin to, to live according to what these verses tell us. Verse 17, look what it says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. So who, 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 don't repay who? What does it say? Anyone. 
In other words, there's no excuse. There's no one that falls outside of this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Eight of these nine sentences, eight of these nine sentences here give you very specific actions that you can take to resolve your anger. Look at what he says. Don't repay evil for evil to anyone. So you don't lash out in the same way. When Jesus said to turn the other cheek, he wasn't telling us to be abused over and over again. What he's telling you is don't respond in kind. Don't respond, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Then he goes on, he says, try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Try. It does, we use that word a lot. Well, I tried. No, you didn't. All you did was say it. Try means I put some action into it. It means I put some effort into it. He, he says, if possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. They may not, they, you know, they may not want to live at peace with you. You can choose to live at peace with them. What does that mean? That means you don't do anything that's going to destroy them. You don't do anything that's going to drag them down. You don't do anything that's going to make them worse. I'm talking fast because we're running out of time. Uh, it, it says, don't avenge, don't avenge, do not avenge yourself. Don't avenge yourself. You know, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Those of you who said, I, you know, I, I, what is it? I, I don't get angry, I, get, I, I just get you. Who do you, you think you're God? Vengeance is whose? It's not yours. It's God's, it says. I realize these things aren't easy. But guess what? They're important. They're important. I have found in my life important things quite often are not easy. It's important. Verse 20, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him something to drink. Again, what are you doing? You're working for their good, not for their destruction. You know, this is what he tells. Don't look at the, verse twenty-one. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with not a bigger hand, not a not a, a harder strike, not another, but you will conquer it with good. So you want to you want to resolve anger? Begin with any one of these. If you're still angry, continue to the next one. You know, just, just keep working. Back to Genesis thirty-seven. Flip back to Genesis thirty-seven. You know, Reuben, Reuben doesn't stand up here. He does not stand up and object to their sinful desire to kill Joseph. All he did is he made an alternate suggestion. You know, he says, just throw Jesus, a uh, Jesus, just throw Joseph in the pit. Just throw Joseph in the pit. You can say, well, yeah, but he intended to come back later and get him. You know, you know what his brothers heard? His brothers just heard him agreeing with their, with some type of retaliation, maybe even murder. Because if they were going to throw him in a pit and leave him there, and what was going to happen, he was going to die. What's that? That's, that's, that's murder. It's just in a different way. You know, that's what they would have heard here. You know, if you harbor, if you harbor, you know, hatred, instead of dealing with it, instead of resolving it, all that's going to happen is it's going to result in more sin, and it's going to take you further from God. It's going to take you further away from Him. A different path away from God is still moving away from God. 
You know, just because it's a different path, it's still moving away from God. You know, just because you're not as bad as someone else doesn't mean you're correct. Just because you're not as bad as your neighbor doesn't mean that you're fine. Just because you're not as bad, don't do something as bad as your brother doesn't mean that you're fine. Just because you don't do something as bad as all these other horrible people doesn't mean you're right. You're simply sinning in a different way. It is still sin, and the result is you are still getting further from God. Let's finish up this chapter, verse 23. See, I told you we could do it. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. How gracious of them, huh? Uh, verse 25, then they sat down to eat a meal. They looked up, and there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming to Gilead. Uh, their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin going down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother. How compassionate. Our own flesh, they agreed, and they agreed. Uh, when the Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit, he saw that Joseph was not there. He tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a young goat, and dipped the robe in its blood. When they sent the robe of many colors to their father, and they said, We found this. Examine it. See if it's your son's robe or not. His father recognized it. It is my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth around his waist, and mourned for his son many days. All of his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol to my son mourning. And his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in, uh, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. So here, you know, Joseph arrives, his brothers let their anger, let their hurt, let their frustration guide them. It says that they stripped off this coat. Uh, the word pictures a forceful removing. It pictures, you know, a rough, forceful thing. They manhandled their brother and they ripped this, you know, they ripped, they forced this coat, you know, off of him. There's the picture. You know, it, 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 it was, it was simply an outburst of anger. Whenever you, when you, you are, you are really losing the battle when you let anger lead. When anger is what's leading you instead of God, you are, you are going to lose. You are going to make poor choices when anger leads. The, the coat, that was really just an outward symbol of their father's love, which they saw as unfair. This was unfair. Here's the symbol. And so they attacked that. Stripping it off seems to be kind of telling Joseph, you're no one special. You're no one, give me that, give me that coat. You're no one special. And they throw Joseph into the pit, and then they sit down to eat. Just a bit calloused. You know, just a bit calloused there. They, they, you know, and they're, as they're eating, well, then they see this caravan of Ishmaelite traders come along. And because they still had not resolved their anger, they still had not resolved their anger at all, they compound the sin by selling Joseph to the Ishmaelites. You see, if you don't repent, if you don't repent, sin is only going to lead you to further sin. And the problem is then you will become numb. You will become numb to what sin is doing to you. And that is a very dangerous place to be. When you are at the point where you don't realize 
the danger and the destruction of sin, you are in an extremely dangerous place. And what do they do? They cover their sinful actions with lies. That's more sin. They're simply covering their sinful actions with even more sins. Lies will lead to more lies. You know, if you tell the truth, you don't have to worry about what to say when they ask you later. Why? Because all you have to do is tell the truth. When you tell a lie and they come and ask you about it later, then you have to try to remember the lie you told this person. And all you do is compound the problem. You know, and lies, they're going to lead to more lies unless you repent. Unless you repent and take a new course toward God. Sin is leading you away from Him. Lying is leading you away from Him. And you're going to continue in problems until you, until you repent. You turn and you take that new course and you move toward God. They end up selling Joseph and they sold him into sure slavery. I mean, when they're selling him to the Ishmaelites, that's all they were doing. You know, they continued to sin and now it just simply gets a little bit more elaborate. Notice, they put blood on Joseph's coat and they bring it to their father and then, you know, they, they, they lie about finding it. Oh, we found this coat. Recognize it, Dad? You know, uh, you know, they're pretending like they don't know how it got that way, that they don't even know if it's Joseph's. You know, and, and Jacob then, he identifies the coat as Joseph and notices it. He goes into a deep mourning. He thinks Joseph has been killed. He thinks his son has been killed by wild animals. And what you see here, you know, these brothers are so hardened by sin that at this point they stand by and watch their father be torn apart by this grief. Their hatred toward their brother now is extending out and they're watching their father be, they intentionally deceive their father. You know, if, if you, you know, if you allow someone to believe a lie or if you coax them, and this is what they're doing here, if you coax them toward a lie when you know the truth, that's sin. You have lied to them. You may not have spoken the actual words. They may not have come out of your mouth. You know, but you still lied. You have intentionally deceived. You have intentionally lied to someone without ever even maybe opening your mouth. Now, Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, two-thirds the price of a slave. He wasn't even sold for the full price of a slave. And when the caravan gets to Egypt, Joseph is sold again, this time to Potiphar. says he's a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's army. Think back to the beginning of the chapter. This is not at all how Joseph dreamed it. This is not at all how he dreamed it. In fact, it seems to be heading in the exact opposite direction of Joseph's dream. This whole thing seems to be out of control. But you know what? Our view of out of control does not mean out of God's hands. Our view of out of control does not mean that it's out of God's hands. We're going to see that as this continues to unfold. But it's, it's a reality even here. This is only a snapshot in time of Joseph's life. It's just a snapshot in time. There's many more ups and downs that we're going to look at as we go with these coming weeks. You know, but through it all, through it all, this was never out of God's hands. I don't know where you find yourself today. I, I don't know where you find yourself. If it's in a strained relationship... Choose to love. If you find yourself in the midst of anger, work to resolve it. If you find yourself in the midst of sin, repent. 
Turn and go toward God. If the snapshot of your life today seems to be out of control, hang on. If your life right now is not, is, is not where you ever dreamed it would be in your life, put it in God's hands. Put it in God's hands and dream on. Let God guide you. Let God have his way in your life. Follow God and dream on. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making thank you for making us aware of things in our life that sometimes are very difficult for us to admit to. Thank you for being a God who doesn't just say do this and do that and then leave us on our own, but you are there to help us, you are there to guide us, you are there to renew us. We celebrated communion, a reminder to us that you gave all. You gave your son. And, and the scripture says, if you gave your, your son, you would not withhold any good thing from us. Father, we are sometimes just, well, we should be tired of doing life on our own. And what we need to do is very seriously give our life to you. To do the actions you've called us to, to live the life you've called us to. And to quit doing our own thing. To quit letting anger control us. To quit adding fuel to the fire. Father, we need to allow you to cleanse and strengthen us. And put us once again on that path that follows you, honors you, and brings joy to your heart. Thank you again for the direction of your word. What we read there in Romans, so many things for us to do to begin to apply what you've told us today. Don't let us be foolish enough to think that it's okay. Don't let us be foolish enough to ignore what you tell us. Help us to live, to turn toward you and live a life hand in hand with you, your way and your will be done, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.